Seven Seconds or Less Podcast. This is a podcast about the NBA with a Phoenix Suns focus. My name is Max McCauley and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, David Nash. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Max, and uh, we're joined by a, a very special guest for this episode. And a perfect guest for what we're going to be talking about. We're, we're continuing our position pod series with the center position, which obviously is all about the number one overall pick, DeAndre Ayton. And I say we have the perfect guy on for this because he probably is the person who actually introduced me to DeAndre Ayton. I think I first heard about him on his podcast. He writes for The Athletic about the NBA draft, the NBA, and college basketball. He hosts, as I said, the Game Theory Podcast, a super popular podcast of which I listen to every episode his name is Sam Bassini. Sam, thanks so much for joining us. How are we going, guys? Going all right. How are you? I am all right. You know, just went for a run out in Hollywood. It's like midday out here, waiting for the girlfriend to get home so that I can watch some Australian football. David and I talk pretty regularly about Essendon and Hawthorne. So uh, I'm always looking for people to talk about Australian football with because, again, I live in the middle of California. And there's no one to talk about it with. It's a tough life out here, but I'm excited to talk about basketball today, too. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of the opposite of uh, yeah, living down here and being a big NBA fan, Sam. But I, I won't bring up the, the Hawks beating the Bombers last week too much for you, I can promise. You know, I'm honestly okay with it. Am I allowed to curse on this podcast? I don't You are, like, of course. Okay, so like... My my take on the Essendon season is don't fucking lose to like Carlton like losing by <laughs> losing by four to Hawthorne I'm just like okay they played well uh, Hawthorne's good and Essendon is playing really well coming down the stretch Hawthorne just caught them because Brendan Goddard somehow continues to step outside of the box after behinds but like <laughs> I mean it's fine it, you know I'm I'm totally at ease with. Hawthorne beating Essendon. I'm not at ease with Essendon losing to Carlton. <laughs> That's fair enough. Listeners, if you're anything like me, you have no idea what just happened for the past minute and a half. But I know there's a team called the Suns, which is cool. I know they're bad, though, right? They're pretty bad, yeah. They're, they're about to lose a lot of players, too. Hopefully the Suns in the uh, United States can be a little bit better. Although, when we saw the schedule today, maybe, maybe not. Uh, so, like I said, we're going to talk about DeAndre Ayton today. And, Sam, I-, I was hoping you could maybe give a little bit more on your on your background and kind of what you do. Because, like I said, I-, I think you're the perfect person to have on this podcast because I- I'm not sure there's anybody who knows more about DeAndre Ayton like, for, as, a, as a pre-college prospect, then through college, and then now. So, yeah, I am the you know lead NBA draft writer, you know NBA writer. Uh, you know, I write about college basketball as well, certainly, over at The Athletic. Uh, before that, I was at Sporting News. Before that, I was at CBS Sports. So uh, I've been doing this for like six years now, which kind of tracks really well with DeAndre Ayton's progression from, you know, coming over from the Bahamas. You hear some things about this kid that's in Arizona, you know, kind of, you know, developing and uh, you know, he's really interesting. He's super athletic. I think that the first time I heard about him was maybe four or five years ago, something like that. Uh, 
North Carolina took, I think it was four years ago, North Carolina took a team down to the Bahamas and played against like a borderline college team, like high school team, uh, just in an exhibition. And DeAndre Ayton was apparently just like murdering these college kids. And Roy Williams was like, who the hell is this guy? And it turned out that he was like this 15, 16 year old, seven foot tall center that no one really knew a ton about. I think he was 15 at the time. And lo and behold, he comes over to America, you know, develops into by the time he's like 16 years old or so. Uh, this kid who uh, everyone thinks is the best prospect in high school basketball, you know, kind of plateaus a little bit because he started to uh, not necessarily play hard in showcase events and, you know, fall in love with his mid-range jumper a little bit too much and then gets to Arizona and starts to figure some things out. Everything starts to click. So it's been a really fascinating rise and, you know, it's been so interesting to track just within the context of you know, where I basically started my career at a very similar time to when DeAndre Ayton was kind of coming along. Yeah, uh, I don't think you could have done a better demonstration of, of why we're having any of this podcast than that. <laughs> Before we get into the, the meat of this, though, I, the, the schedule came out today, and, and we wanted to ask, uh, we want to go around and ask everybody. Dave, we'll start with you. What, what, what game are you most looking forward to in terms of a, a DeAndre Ayton matchup? I opened it up straight away, Max, and uh, looked for Philadelphia, which is, is pretty early at uh, November 19 on the schedule, so 10 or 12 games into the, to the season, and, uh, you know, with Embiid already firing a shot, Aiton's way earlier this summer and, and Aiton taking it pretty well and uh, you know I was pretty impressed with him not really wanting to get into any Twitter spats with, with Embiid this early in his career so yeah I'm excited to see what actually happens on the court in that one and uh, of course it would be a uh, Rashawn Holmes revenge game also so that's that's the one I've highlighted early on. Don't forget Miguel Bridges too. That's very true. <laughs> Sam how about you? Yeah I think Embiid probably would have been my answer for many you know obvious reasons there but uh, I'm very interested as well in a potential matchup with someone like Rudy Gobert as well, mm. just someone who is so elite defensively that can cause Aiton so many issues, in my opinion. How does he react to someone that is so technically sound? How does he react to someone who can match him physically even beyond what DeAndre's incredible physical dimensions are. I mean, Rudy is now just a total freak athlete and has a seven foot nine wingspan and can really match up uh, in terms of his mobility with DeAndre. So, you know, the, the technicians, the really great defensive players, watching DeAndre try and figure out how to operate against those guys, I think is going to be really interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I think uh, that would obviously be Igor's first game against his old team too. And it doesn't look to come until February 6th by the looks of things. So uh, yeah, Aiton will be well established by then hopefully. And, uh, you know, it doesn't match up too poorly against the big fella in Utah. How about you, Max? Have you got one? Yeah, mine's a, mine's a little similar to Sam's. It's, it's a little earlier on. They actually played this team three times in the first month, I think. Uh, it's Steven Adams and OKC. Every player, when you ask them like, who they hate to play against the most, it's Steven Adams because he's just so strong and just he's beats you up the whole game. And I'd like to see how DeAndre Ayton reacts to, to going up like somebody like that. Because We'll get into this, but one of DeAndre Ayton's biggest flaws is his uh, lack of physicality, is shying away from contact. So I think Steven Adams is going to be a, a difficult matchup for him. That's a good one. Yeah, I really like that one too. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah, De- DeAndre, he showed a increased uh, capacity to deal with strength and physicality earlier this year, but 
it's not something that he's done throughout the course of his career. So it's something he's definitely going to have to get used to. Yeah, he also kind of deals with it more than he uh, he gives it out. But like I said, we'll get into that. Before we before we get into that, though, let's, uh, let's do what we do every week. Let's have David give us a cool little story of Suns history in Did You Know? We're up to the Senna's episode now, Max, so it's only fair that I discuss our newly acquired big fella in conjunction with a few Senna's of Suns past. Phoenix don't exactly have a storied history with NBA Senna's, but Max and Sam, did you know it's a Senna who leads the franchise in both games played and minutes? Not sure I expect Sam to get this one, but Max, do you know who that is? Oh man, it's going way back, isn't it? It's going a whole way back. Oh, I don't know, who is it? It's Alvin Adams. Drafted at number four by the Suns and played his entire career in Phoenix with 13 seasons, amassing 988 games and over 27,000 minutes. Adams is all over the Phoenix Records leaderboard due to his long stint with the Suns, but he had a remarkable year in his first season. It's even more interesting when you consider Aiton's comments around Summer League this year where he said he wanted to be both the Rookie of the Year winner and All-Star since Blake Griffin. Adams did this in 1976 with a rookie season of 19 points, 9.1 boards, and 5.6 assists. He also had 1.5 steals and 1.5 blocks. Pretty impressive. The Suns went all the way to the finals before losing to the Celtics, and that was Adams' sole All-Star selection for his entire career. Now, speaking of Aiton's quotes from the offseason, he also called himself and Booker Shaq and Kobe 2.0. For a franchise with such a poor big man record, the fans certainly would welcome that. Interesting though, Max and Sam, if you take Shaq, who had a fleeting moment for the Suns himself, and stack up his career numbers against every Suns stats in the last 50 years, the big cactus almost wins out all on his own. Uh, You'll have to trust me on this one because I did do the numbers, but if you remove Adams entirely, who was 6'9 anyway and probably wouldn't play center in today's game, then Shaq's points and rebounds basically eclipses 50 years of Suns' big men numbers all on their own. Speaking of bad centers, it would be remiss of me not to tie in here with a fellow Aussie, Luke Longley. Longley, of course, won three titles with the Bulls before being traded to the Suns. Uh, The first round pick in that deal actually became Ron Artest for the Bulls, but it's a trade that sent Longley out of Phoenix that I am more enamored with. Uh, It was only the second four-team trade in NBA history including 12 players and five draft picks. So I won't go through the whole thing uh, on this pod, but if one of you can give me even one of the players in that deal, I would be very impressed. It's me, man. <laughs> I got nothing. All right, so here's some highlights. Phoenix received Chris Dudley, a center, and a draft pick that became Jason Collins, also a center. Travis Knight, Greg Foster, Horace Grant, and Vladimir Stepania were also in the deal, and you guessed it, they all played center. But the real cherry on top of this trade was the fact that it included none other than Patrick Ewing being traded from the Knicks to the Sonics. A trade littered with NBA centers, Longley lasted just one year and five days on the Knicks before retiring with injuries and being waived on the same day that Michael Jordan returned to the NBA for the Wizards. He left a $6 million cap hit on the Knicks for the extra two seasons that he missed. Now guys, before we jump into the pod, let's play a quick game. If you had to choose one stat line to match up with Aiton's rookie line for the Suns season, which would it be? So Adams' career averages, and therefore Suns' averages, were 14 points, 7 rebounds, just under 1 block, and just under 50% field goal. Shaq's solo full season for the Suns was 18 points, 8.4 rebounds, 1.4 blocks on 61% shooting. 
or if we take Longley's full year in Phoenix and adjust it for per 36, he had 11.5 points, 8.2 boards, 1.1 blocks on 46% shooting. Sam, I'll go with you first. How do you feel about uh, Aiton's rookie season? Max and I have discussed it before, but what are you expecting from him? So fascinating. So you want me to pick one of the three players? Yeah, close enough, nearest oh, to pin. Because it's like I, I would tell you that I think DeAndre Ayton averages a double-double in his first year. Like I think he's immediately going to enter the NBA and be one of the 10 to 15 best rebounders in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. So none of those rebounding numbers really add up. So I'd probably say the Elvin Adams 14, you know, seven and 7.5, 7.9, something like that. And what was yep. it like one and a half blocks? Just under one block, actually. It wasn't a big, uh, big block getter, Adams. Yeah. Like, I don't think DeAndre is going to be big in terms of blocks in his rookie year either. So I'd say like, Elvin Adams with more rebounds, like something along those lines. That's fair, and probably adjust for the uh, for the modern game too. Yeah. How about you, Max? How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm on the same page as Sam. I was going to say that I think all those rebounding numbers were a little low. Uh, I think he'll probably get ten or near ten, and points wise, yeah, probably fourteen or fifteen, maybe maybe even a little bit less. I don't know. We saw in summer league, and we'll get into this. Igor really doesn't seem like he's going to feature him. So yeah. we'll see. I don't know. I think, and also, yeah, I agree. Blocks will probably be around one, maybe a little under one. So I don't think any of those guys actually match him too perfectly. All right, Max, I think it's time to jump in and uh, talk some more Aiton and, and center position for the Suns this season. Let's do it. So like I said, this is going to be a look at Aiton's past, present, and future. We're going to try to answer the question, like, what is DeAndre Aiton going to be in the future? What is he going to be as a player and as a Suns building block? Uh, Sam, we're going to start with Aiton's past, which you've already sort of gotten into a little bit, but uh, I'll get a little more specific with it. I went back and listened to some of your older podcasts, which, as I said, I, I think is actually where I first learned about DeAndre Aiton. But it was it was interesting to go back and listen to them and, and, and hear what you guys had to say about Aiton as a prospect before he went to U of A. I think the the overwhelming difference between then and now is is while there's still mental questions with him, they've they've sort of changed. Before they were, does he even care because he wasn't trying and stuff? I think even even the most recent, like I think your second most recent pod, you said something like there was an there's a period where DeAndre Aiton didn't give a shit. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And then, but I think that's kind of gone away. But there's still mental questions. So maybe could you talk at all about like how his mental the questions have changed over time. So, yeah, I think that, you know, as I mentioned at the top, you know, when he was a junior, even like a little bit into his senior year, just because you know, DeAndre Ayton had been on the radar of NBA scouts, the you know media and at large, everything like that. He'd been on the radar for from the time he was like 15 years old. You know, and from the time he was a sophomore in high school, number one player in his class immediately, everything that comes along with being the physical freak that he is. A lot of people who saw him for the first time, who uh, saw him for the 10th time, uh, came away thinking, oh, this guy, you know, he, he doesn't play hard. He floats from time to time. He... Uh, you know, isn't willing to embrace contact, isn't, uh, doesn't look like he has that edge that you're looking for from a, you know, true big man in today's NBA, all of the stuff that kind of goes along with that. But, you know, over the course of his time at Arizona, he really dispelled a lot of those questions. He really did a good job of embracing what Sean Miller teaches. He really wants guys who are tough and physical and embrace their physical tools uh, inside at the center position. But he also gives them a little bit of latitude to, you know, kind of float away 
from the basket and kind of do their own thing as well. So he did a really good job of dispelling those questions about his motor, I think. I think that that was probably just a catch-all term, like does he have the motor to be great Mm -hmm. at at the next level? Now those questions have shifted into – you know, a lot of people questioning his defensive instincts. And it's more of an instinctual question of, you know, is he ever going to develop the basketball IQ to be an elite defender? And I push back on that a little bit because I talk to coaches in the Pac-12 and they rave about DeAndre Ayton defensively. Like they think he is just a monster who is just so hard to deal with because he's so athletic and so big. But interesting. Yeah, like in the fact that he's so mobile at his size, it really caused them a lot of issues this year. Like he was all Pac-12 defense this year. Uh, and, and if you go back and look at the tape, he actually is not nearly as bad in some cases as what I think the tape or is what I think the numbers portray. But I think that that's where the mental questions have really shifted. Is it a situation where he it's not no longer a situation with motor. It's more a situation of. Does he have the acuity in terms of his mentality to rotate and protect the rim and be there and you know in the right spot regularly? Because that's something that Carl Anthony Towns, everyone just kind of assumed he would develop coming into the league. And you know we're in year three, going into year four now. And Carl Towns, I think, out of the you know fifty odd players who had at least four shots contested per game at the basket last year. I think he was like sixth worst in the mm-hmm. NBA, giving up 64% at the, uh, at the rim defensively. So it's, that's where DeAndre Ayton has to improve. He has to improve his defensive uh, instincts at the basket. But I, I think that some of the defensive questions overall have been overstated also. That's interesting. So, yeah, I, th- I think Cat's best defensive year the past four years was his special season at Kentucky, right? Kind of. I mean, it's his role at Kentucky – he got so much latitude because he only played 20 minutes. So, like, he'd just mm. fucking go up and try and block every shot, and he ended up with a block rate that was, like, right around 10, if I remember correctly, and averaged, like, four blocks per 40 minutes, which those numbers are monstrous, but he also averaged, like, six fouls per 40 minutes because <laughs> he just was going up and trying to block everything and not really worrying about foul trouble because he didn't have to. He didn't... It wasn't a concern because he was only playing 20 minutes a night. Which is interesting because that's kind of the direct opposite of, of Aiton's college career. He really yeah. had to stay on the court and, you know, a lot of us believe played within himself uh, to do that, that's so. That's actually exactly the statement that I've made in the past. I think that in terms of his defensive ability around the basket, he often kind of scaled back, but... You know, look, like, I'm not sitting here saying he's a good defender at the basket. I don't think he is necessarily unless he's just, like, standing there already in position and can use his just girth and length and athleticism to contest shots. Like, if he's in position, yeah. it's fine. But he's not great at getting there yet. But you have to understand some of the contextual factors beyond that even. And, you know, I can go into that, but I'll give you guys kind of a chance to talk for a second as well <laughs> <laughs> no worries. this is about you talking sam they've they've all heard our opinions on Aiton, but uh let's uh let's move a little bit to offense i still want to stay on the middle thing a little bit because i think it does bleed into his offense you mentioned mm-hmm. early on there were a lot of concerns that he 
would just he was a jump shooter, right? He was not interested yeah. in, in going in the paint. He was not interested in, in being physical, overpowering people. And I would say, I mean, th- that's still a concern, at least to an extent. He, he, whenever he got the ball at the elbow or you know, fifteen feet from the basket, face up. More often than not, he was he was jacking up a bad jumper rather than trying to take his guy. What do you what do you think about his development in that area? So yeah, it's. It's hard to say, again, because of the contextual factors. Like, is this a thing that he does? I tend to fall on that side. Like, I think he needs to kind of just excise this stupid mid-range jumper from his game where it's contested and he's 16 feet away from the hoop and just kind of pulls up because he hasn't taken a shot in in a while. Again, though, what I will say is there are reasons for optimism there, too, because... Uh, you know, you look at the contextual factors. At Arizona, he often played with another center on the floor that would regularly post. I mean, Dushan Ristich, I want to say he played like 55 to 60% of his minutes, something along those lines, with Dushan Ristich last year. And then mm-hmm. also played with Keanu Pinder pretty regularly. Uh, you know, I think David will be familiar with Pinder. He's Australian. Um, went to a JUCO and, <laughs> like, ended up transferring up to Arizona. He is... Not an offensive player, but he's still a guy that would be crashing the offensive glass regularly and taking up space in the lane. So is it a situation where DeAndre just didn't have space to post up and keep the flow of the offense going, keep the spacing of the offense proper? Or is it a situation where he is just prone to settle for these things? And, you know, in summer league, we saw a situation where he seemed prone to settle for jump shots from the perimeter again. I almost hesitate to even take a whole lot away from that as well because it is a situation where there wasn't a point guard on the roster really who was feeding him entry passes in the post. So I think he just got a little bit frustrated and figured, fuck it, this is summer league. I'm just going to jack up shots. <laughs> like, uh, So I'm not entirely sure what to make of his propensity for these mid-range jumpers, but it's something that needs to be fixed to be sure. Well, that's a nice segue, actually, to, to David's going to take the lead in the next segment. We're going to talk about uh, DeAndre Ayton's present. Yeah, so I, I listened to you break down with, with friend of the pod, Cole Zwicker, kind of summer league and, and Ayton's performance. But I thought, you know, I'd quickly get your extended thoughts on, on how Ayton, you know, progressed at summer league. I've, I've definitely been a loud voice in, in saying that I think he, he did a lot better than, you know, a lot of people gave him credit for. But, you know, what was kind of your main takeaway from his four games in Vegas? I didn't really take away anything all that strongly, yep. to be honest. Just because, again, like he, I mean, Elliot Kobo, I liked what I saw from him at point, but it didn't seem like they shared a ton of the floor together in the moments that I saw. Uh, I think I saw two or three of their games live, just being in Vegas. So, like, I mean, like, I don't remember them sharing the floor a ton. And, and you know, a Kobo's passing isn't necessarily, you know, entry pass into the post. It's, drive, dump off, drive, whip pass to the corner, drive, you know, you know, picking out the opposite wing for an open jump shot. So I, you know, I just didn't think he was in position regularly. And then in terms of defense, I tend not to take anything away defensively from summer league just because there's no continuity. There's no real semblance of just defensive mindedness in any way the games are so up and down there are fewer half court possessions they're they're turnover magnet games like i I don't know that i would like i don't feel strongly in any way about deandre's performance i think he was like second team all summer league it was kind of a weak summer league for standout performances i thought so 
know, sure, if, if you want to give him that award, be my guest. But I, I didn't think he was positive nor negative, I guess. Yeah, I think his minutes were tied very much to Shaq Harrison, who was, you know, kind of fighting for his spot on the roster, which, yeah, was a, a bit of a, a negative for DeAndre. But you have touched on a couple of things, one kind of positive, one negative, that maybe went under the radar a little bit. I think what you touched on before about his Pac-12 reputation, I think we saw in little spurts in Summer League where there was guards, you know, even the likes of Dennis Smith Jr., who just weren't willing to attack him off the dribble because of his sheer size in the paint so he didn't quite get the block numbers of a, a Wendell Carter or uh, you know Jackson for instance but I thought he played quite solid defense in in the games that I saw and then the other thing I think is you know what you said with him settling for jumpers I think we saw that a little bit in summer league as well but you know and it was a little frustrating you kind of want him to attack the bastard a little bit more but you know I think as you said he was getting uh, you know, so little touches of the ball at times that occasionally he, uh, you know, just wanted to get his shot up in the offense when he could. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right. And that's why I'm just hesitant to take much away from what happened in general, I guess, because the way that he operated in the summer, I would guess is not the way he's going to operate for the Suns during the regular season, if only because Devin Booker just takes up so much defensive attention from opposing teams that it's just an entirely different ball game when he's out on the floor and when better defenders are out on the floor who can maybe push DeAndre out of the post a little bit better. Like it's, it's just a different ball game. Yeah. So that, that's kind of a, a nice, you know, segue into to my next question, I think is, you know, you touched a little bit before about DeAndre's rebounding, but what do you think are his best skills, you know, that he has in his bag right now that he's going to bring into the NBA in his rookie season? Yeah. I think that he's immediately going to be one of the best, like 10 to 15 rebounders in the league. He's just so big. He has great instincts for chasing the ball on the defensive glass and on the offensive glass. He really like relishes going to grab the ball up there. I I would also point out, I think that he is going to be very good scoring around the basket. Like if he ended up with a field goal percentage, like 59, 58%, I wouldn't be all that surprised depending on how many, I mean, like it depends on how many mid range jumpers, how many three pointers he ends up throwing up. Do they like? I don't think that the Suns see this as a developmental year necessarily. I think that they're genuinely trying to make the playoffs, which yep. makes it a little bit more complicated in terms of the way that they use him. But I think it'll also allow for a situation where they try to excise some of the less efficient shots from his game. They don't let him try and explore his boundaries a little bit more, as we've seen in the past with. Uh, you know, developing big men, developing players in general, like Victor Oladipo playing point guard for Orlando for a couple of years on and off. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that part of it is interesting. I think he'll be very good as a scorer inside. Uh, I think he'll be a good post player if they want to throw him the ball on the block. Uh, He was one of the best post-up guys in college basketball last season. If they get him in mismatch situations in the NBA, he's going to be really efficient there. The jump shot, I'm not a hundred percent sold on him being a very good jump shooter immediately but i think he'll be a good jump shooter eventually i have a quick question for you sam so there's been a big debate on sun twitter and david and i actually just had it on our our last podcast of uh, who should start at small forward because the the presumption is that brandon knight devin booker deandre ayton and trevor ariza are going to start and it leaves a hole at small forward there's you know there's a jackson camp there's a mikhail bridges camp and there's a tj warren camp who would you start if if it was up to you i I would 
bet you that they start Josh Jackson, just kind of basing it off of what I Mm -hmm. think they think of their future and how important Josh is to that future. But if it was me, oh man, that's really hard. I think I would probably start Josh Jackson unless Mikhail Bridges like really went wild in camp. I really love TJ Warren's ability to come in and kind of feast on second units uh, and kind of get a chance to run the offense a little bit more, staggering his minutes a little bit more away from Devin Booker, having the ball in his hands a little bit more regularly. TJ, I think, has a propensity at times, and this isn't necessarily a terrible thing because it works really well for him as a sixth man, but he has a propensity to kind of dominate the ball a little bit more than you would hope for uh, when he's on the floor. So I would probably kind of throw him out of this and make it one of Mikhail or Josh, and I would bet you that they see Josh as a more uh, important piece for them going forward. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I've been pushing the TJ starting camp the, the last week, but don't entirely disagree from a future standpoint. I think Max and I are a lot closer uh, in what we think, you know, going forward into the future, we just differ a little bit on, on this season. And, you know, something you touched on before with the Suns kind of wanting to make the playoffs is is kind of the extra variable in all of this of, of why they may not, you know, as impressive as, say, Bridges is in camp, they may not uh, move to put him straight in the starting lineup and, and start two rookies next year. Yeah, and real quick too. Like, if I was saying the, like, purely start the best guy out of that group, I would say TJ Warren is the best player out of that group. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think there's definitely some value to moving him to the second unit as the as the guy there, too. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the Suns do for game one. But, yeah, moving back to, to what you were saying before about, you know, throwing DeAndre the ball in the post, it's something that the Suns have lacked recently and certainly lacked in in Devin Booker's time on the team and and kind of having that pressure valve release uh it could be good for his game so what do you say to people that you know quite use it as a negative towards Aiton as you know the fact that he's kind of bullied guys his whole young career and you know may not be able to do that in the NBA do you think with his size and skill and footwork is, is still going to be able to have that translate to his NBA game yeah I think that in most cases I agree with those guys, like in most players' cases, um, like Stephen Adams, for instance, is really big, but he's not quite as coordinated as, you know, really, really good post players are. Yeah. You know, Rudy Gobert can't necessarily hold his position because his legs are a little bit skinnier than what you would hope for. Um, you know, you, you can kind of continue to run through each center. Like Kristaps Porzingis, you're t- counting on a lot of mid-range jumpers because he's not strong enough to, you know, really pin a guy back toward the basket and, uh, you know, continue to go all the way toward the basket. So you're hoping that he shoots over players a lot of the time. In DeAndre's case, he is going to enter the NBA as, in my opinion, the biggest physical freak that has entered the NBA since LeBron. Wow. Seven foot one, 260 pounds, has a 40 plus inch vertical leap, is strong as an ox, and has incredible footwork in terms of his just fluidity with his feet. So I don't mean to say that like he is like Joel Embiid. I don't think he is. Like I think Joel is a better prospect than that. But in terms of sheer outlier athleticism, strength, quickness, body control combination, I think DeAndre is just such an incredible outlier. And in many cases, those are the things that hold back really, really good post players from being able to make it translate to the NBA. I I don't think DeAndre is going to have that. 
I think that he's going to be able to immediately establish position deep on the block. He is just so big and so long that he's going to be able to shoot over a lot of centers. They'll be a little bit contested, but his footwork is also good enough to where I think he's going to get enough open shots for where you're not going to want to post him up a ton, but you're going to want to get him looks on the block because he can score efficiently enough there to where it can be a part of your offense that opens up the rest of the floor and makes his defense collapse down on him just a little bit more than it would with most other players. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how the Suns can use that skill because, as I said, it's it's not something that they've had recently. Obviously, we've got a coaching change and hopefully some new ideas of how they can use that. And I'm, I'm sure guys like Devin Booker are going to really appreciate it. But Max, do you have any thoughts on that? That's actually another great segue because I'm going to, I'm going to get into sort of Aiton's future as a player and they was going to do Aiton's future with the Suns uh, a little bit later. But... But I was definitely pro Luka Doncic, and so was David before the draft. We were we were part of the Luka Doncic uh, Suns contingent. But the the one thing I kept having my, I had in my head about Aiton that that made me very made me a little bit less confident in my Doncic opinion is that this whole modern NBA thing where where post offense doesn't really work and you can play centers off the floor, guys like Canner, you know Valanciunas. That's all because their their post offense is efficient, but they can't do it against you know in the in the in the highest levels of the game because the game shrinks and, and they get played off the floor. But Aiton sort of made, to me kind of has this potential to be almost like a cheat code because he can be a seven foot one behemoth who can score efficiently inside but he also can maybe potentially play perimeter defense at like an okay level for a wing even do you view that as, as a possibility is that something that maybe people were overlooking on him yes uh, i think that that is the biggest key to his game he is a big man that you can leave on the floor late in games because he can defend on the perimeter his feet are awesome uh his length is a legitimate impediment to driving guards uh he's so quick that he has great recovery speed like coming back even if he does get beat uh like in pick and roll coverages or anything like that so yeah i think that in many ways he's the kind of player that kind of kind of breaks the mold on some of these like super downsized lineups like you're basically gonna have to keep a Mm -hmm. center in the game when deandre's on the floor because you'll get pounded inside if you don't. And because he is just quick enough to guard, like if you if you try and play the death lineup that Golden State does, he's quick enough to guard a Draymond yep. Green pretty easily, I think. So that's the biggest key for me. His ability to really uh, step out on the perimeter and guard kind of changes the game for him. Like for me, he's a much better perimeter defender right now than like a Muhammad Bamba, who a lot of people talked about as this like 1-5 defender. I think DeAndre is more of a 1-5 defender, whereas Bamba's a guy you're going to want to kind of drop back because his center of gravity and his uh, lateral quickness and his just overall fluidity moving his feet and his like the balance throughout his body just from being well-proportioned uh, makes him a lot more difficult to get around for opposing guards, whereas someone with Bamba, he has those really long legs, really long strides, Uh, It takes him just that split second longer to get moving because it takes him a second longer to accelerate. Yeah, I I 100% agree with all of that. I think I think the the questions for him defensively are are not physical at all. They're 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 mental, as we we spoke about earlier. And I mean, if you could just transplant Kevin Garnett's brain into into DeAndre Ayton's body, he would be the best defender in the NBA. Yes, I would agree with that. If you if you transplanted Kevin Garnett's brain into DeAndre Ayton's body, DeAndre Ayton would probably become one of like the 10 best players ever yeah so that would that's a that's a big ask i think that's probably not going to be where he gets mentally (laughs) 
something to hope for though for Suns fans and uh, I, I love that uh, you can't hack Aiton either kind of just talking about playing him off yeah. the floor in late game situations you know the way he stepped up and made free throws in summer league was was impressive and he was you know a pretty good free throw shooter in his time in Arizona too so he's kind of yeah he's got those or, or doesn't have those deficiencies that seen kind of modern bigs played off the floor recently in in you know the last couple of seasons yeah no question so Sam going more to his offense I guess in the future if DeAndre into top five or, or top 10 ish NBA player someday what is what is it going to look like I think we kind of already you already kind of described what you think his defense is going to look like to an extent but is, is the post offense going to be enough or is he going to need to be a three-point shooter or is he going to need to be able to add some you know off the dribble craft or something like that to his game yeah i think to be an offensive like you know top five player in the league you have to be able to attack closeouts in pick and pop situations like deandre is a player that i think the suns are hoping develops into a pick and pop style big man but if guys can close out hard on him it's gonna end up in a situation where they're going to contest a lot of his shots, even though he has that high release point, he has all of the size in the world at seven foot one with the seven foot six wingspan. Like he needs to be able to pump fake, put the ball on the ground twice, maybe rise for a mid range jumper, which isn't ideal or like put the ball on the deck twice, go in for a layup. Like that's the thing that's I think most missing from his game right now. He's never been asked really to dribble the basketball just because he's never had to. Um, That's where I don't think we really have a handle on what he can or can't do yet as a creator. Uh, Like, is it within his realm of outcomes to become a very good ball handler? Like, he's not a player who makes poor decisions with the basketball. He had an 11% turnover rate in college. He's actually a really good passer. I think a really underrated passer for his size. Mm -hmm. So, like, he's very fluid. He has great hand-eye coordination. Uh, Like, his feet are very fluid and competent. So, is it a situation where you can teach this guy to dribble? Like, I don't think it's out of the question that you could teach him how to dribble, much in the same way that, you know, the 76ers figure out a way to make it so Joel Embiid could put the ball on the deck a couple times and attack. I think that's exactly right. Uh, one more question before I, before I turn it over to David. Let's go downside now. Not like 0% downside, but if in a, in a 0 to 100 range of outcomes, what do you think is like his you know 15 to 20% downside? Like his, it didn't really work out. He just wasn't that great of a player. But where does that, where does that leave him? It's probably a situation where he just doesn't affect winning basketball. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to rebound the basketball he is going to average 12 points a game at the very least like he's he's going to be like a 12 and 9 guy I think it, like the worst case scenario it's just how much does that help you does he give up a ton of open looks at the basket because he doesn't rotate consistently defensively does he end up in a situation where he tries to do too much and starts to fall in love with his mid-range jumper a little bit too often and shoots 49% instead of 57 or 59 to honestly, like he could shoot 62% one year and it wouldn't surprise me. So like, that's kind of the difference to me. I think he, he needs to trust his physical tools a little bit more, trust his strength a little bit more and kind of embrace that part of his game and also work on the acuity of his mind and make sure that he makes the cogent, competent read regularly. Otherwise you're talking about like, Maybe like an empty stats, you know, 14 and 10 guy. 
Yeah, I think, you know, what you touched on about, you know, offensively unlocking his game a little bit with kind of maybe a bit of a face-up and dribble game is certainly going to make up for that difference between whether he reaches his kind of peak as a prospect or whether he is just that solid double-double guy, which I think we're all pretty confident that he can be in the NBA. Moving on to, I guess, the future of the Suns, I'm not sure how high you are on Booker as a kind of star in the league, but assuming that Booker and Aiton become the one-two punch for the Suns, you know, obviously the Suns have a lot of other prospects on the roster, a few of which you've kind of mentioned already, but how would you build around those two guys you know you kind of got your dominant center hopefully someone who's impacting on the defensive end as we hope that Aiton will and Booker is your your one go-to scorer whether that's in a Harden type role or whether it's a more traditional shooting guard role so what are you kind of looking for in terms of team building who are the guys that the Suns maybe have right now that they really need to count on uh, reaching their ceilings to kind of build around this team I think that the first one is Josh Jackson uh, just kind Mm -hmm. of unquestionably They need Josh Jackson to become the type of two-way wing that I think he has potential to be. Like, I I was never really on the boat of, like, Josh Jackson's a future all-star. He's this unbelievable player. Um, Maybe that upside exists, but I always thought of him more as, like, a really nice two-way player who can be like an Andre Iguodala and, and, like, uh, take on tough defensive assignments and uh, guard opposing ones, twos, and threes with a high level of certainty uh, while hopefully making threes at like a 34% clip. That's the guy that they need. They need someone in Josh Jackson who can average 16 points, you know, six rebounds and three assists a game while shooting 34% from three and what, maybe like 44, 46% from the field uh, while also playing super high level defense because that's the kind of... uh, game that I think he can bring to the table. I think he's very capable of that. The next guy, I would look for a point guard. I love I love the idea of a guy like a Trevor Ariza, but Trevor's obviously pretty old. So, Mikhail Bridges? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, Mikhail's not quite as strong, and I don't know that I buy Mikhail ever developing the strength that Trevor did, but... Okay. Uh, you know, maybe someone like that, maybe you just play four perimeter players with Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, and uh, Josh Jackson across the two, three, four, and say, hey, we have enough strength to rebound inside with DeAndre. We, uh, you know, maybe if the game has downsized even a little bit more and makes it co- like possible for that to work. You know, Mikhail's game, I think, profiles a little bit better as a you know, Josh is a really good on-ball defender and has, like, solid instincts off the ball. Mikhail is a great off-ball defender who I think yep. is pretty overrated on the ball right now. Uh, you know, that the, like, high waist that he has, it takes him a little bit longer to kind of get moving, and he can get blown by occasionally whenever, uh, you know, he plays a quicker two-guard or three-guard. So I don't mind that necessarily, but I think I'd want someone that's a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger, like, Trevor, six foot nine, probably has, I would guess, 15 pounds on Mikhail Bridges, maybe 20 pounds. So, like, if Mikhail can put on weight like that, great. But someone in the Trevor Ariza mold who can be very switchable defensively and knock down corner threes. And then from a point guard perspective, I think, again, you you want a strong 
defender who can distribute a bit more than shoot it, but also shoot it reasonably well. Um, Like, I, I don't know that they necessarily need, like, an unreal floor spacer when they have Booker and they hope that DeAndre Ayton develops into a 35% three-point shooter and you have Mikhail Bridges and hopefully a stretch four kind of existing there. Might not need to be like a wild three-point shooter, but he probably does need to be someone who can knock down shots consistently. Like it can't be Alfred Payton, for instance, (laughs) or Ricky Rubio or someone like that. Someone that gets thrown up quite a lot is Patrick Beverly, kind of, you know, using the the Harden uh, comp there, you know, someone that matched up with Harden for quite a few seasons, you know, quite successfully, I think, as Harden was, you know, really becoming the player he is today. But Max, let me throw you in here. I know you're kind of someone who, you know, really thinks that Booker can be that lead primary ball handler, you know, in the Harden type role. So what are your thoughts on if everyone does reach their outcome, squeezing Bridges, Jackson and Booker all into a starting lineup on, you know, a potential contending team a few years from now, let's say TJ's out of the lineup or, or out of the roster entirely. I've really thought that one of Aiton's biggest strengths with his sheer size that Sam's touched on is that you can play that kind of modern, versatile lineup beneath him. So how would you look for things to be going forward with those guys? Well, to start with, with, with Devin Booker, I am someone who is very... Thinks, thinks that it's very important for them to find out whether or not they have James Harden. I, I'm not 100% sure that he's going to not even get to the same level as James Harden, but even get reasonably close. He made a really nice playmaking jump this year. Uh, he was an underrated passer this year, and as as many people have pointed out, I think Nate Duncan pointed this out, he honestly should have had a lot better assist numbers, but his teammates were just awful. Like The amount of the amount of lobs that Alex Lynn flubbed last year, it was, just, it was hard to watch. Uh, DeAndre Ayton should be an improvement there. But, uh, so yeah, I think they should give him a try there and see if they can get there. Because if Evan Booker can be your, your primary initiator and he's six foot seven, it makes things a lot easier to build because you're going to be able to put someone next to him who doesn't need to necessarily be an excellent ball hander. It could be more of like a Clay Thompson type, someone who's you know a really excellent shooter and defender to play with Booker. And then if you have someone of that size next to him, you can also get more away with you know playing two other wings like, say, Josh Jackson, Mikael Bridges along with him, and then relying on Ayton in the interior. It just kind of opens up more options for you, so I think it's a better way to build, but I wouldn't say that I'm 100% in on Booker being there yet. I want to see them try it a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's you know something that we've both touched on in the past and, and where this season might be a negative towards that point is because, you know, at least early on, it looks like the Suns are really going to try and push and, uh, you know, get wins on the board, which, you know, may come at the sacrifice of some development, maybe not so much to the young guys, but maybe to, yeah, a Booker in that type of role. But Sam, to kind of end on the future, let's say Josh does become that player the third piece that you're looking for there obviously we've touched on Bridges I know you were pretty critical of of Bender's summer league so we can probably discount him from the conversation man I want I want Dragon Bender to be good so bad (laughs) so do we we're very much with you on that one I am a fan of his I think he has all of the basketball IQ in the world he just needs to get confident like he needs to he needs to assume that he's making the right decision on the floor because most of the time he is it's just he doesn't really think that all the time it seems like and that's sad because he's a very very smart defender he's a very smart decision maker with the ball typically uh, whenever he's confident whenever it seems like he feels that confidence and feels like he's not going to get ripped from the floor every time he like fucks up so yeah, I mean, I would like him to be good. I, I'm still higher on Dragon Bender than I am on Marquise Chris. 
<laughs> well, the biggest offense for for both of them, actually, and especially for Bender, is that you know they, they were they were these kids who got thrown into this horrible situation under Earl Watson, who should not have been an NBA yeah. coach on a horrible tanking team for two years. And to be honest, like I'll say this too, like they shouldn't have been in an NBA rotation mm-hmm. when they were. Yep. Like yeah. I mean, with Dragon Bender, he played. Everyone like brings up the you know Dragon Bender. Luka Doncic comparison like Dragon Bender played like 75 minutes of EuroLeague basketball for <laughs> Maccabi uh, the year before he was drafted he played like 500 Israeli league minutes the year before he was drafted if I remember correctly so like it's he he wasn't ready at all to play that kind of high level role in the best league of the world in the world immediately uh, and then Marquise Chris he's athletic enough to at least kind of do things but he doesn't think the game Uh, critically enough to where he's capable of making the high-level decisions that you have to to be an effective NBA player because he started out playing basketball a little bit later in life than most kids do. He needed that time maybe to sit on the bench and learn a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a tough, it's tough. I'll ask you this and, and kind of end on the future with this question, Sam. Max and I are going to dive into both point guard and, and power forward episodes uh, going forward in the next coming weeks for the listeners. But with Booker becoming what we expect him to, uh, you're obviously very high on DeAndre Ayton becoming uh, you know, worthy of taking it the number one pick. And you know, let's assume one of Josh Jackson and Bridges become that third solid guy for the Suns. Is it point guard or is it more that stretch power forward position that would be the next priority in terms of building this into a playoff team to start with, for instance? Is it, you know, is it a stretch four that can help space things for DeAndre or is it, you know, more of a point guard you see as being the priority to feed eight in the ball and also obviously make playmaking better for, for Booker? I mean, both spots are so hard to find, right? Like... Yeah. I would probably say point guard because I think if they find a point guard, you know, I'm someone who I would rather have Devin playing off the ball. He is a really good passer and a very underrated playmaker for others, but I want him running off screens and being able to knock down catch and shoot shots. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying don't play him with the ball in his hands regularly, but I want a point guard there who can make plays as well. Like I, I want more playmaking on the floor if I can get it. I mean, that's the big reason that I think Houston took their leap this year is they got as much playmaking on the floor as possible. It's not like, you know, James Harden had the ball in his hands a crazy amount less just because they had a true point guard there. So, uh, you know, I, I would probably try and find that point guard because I think that he would foster the development of the other players a little bit better uh, than like having a you know spacing four. I certainly agree with that. So I think that's a that's a pretty good way to to end the main section of this pod, Max. What do you think? Yeah, except for it made me sad that we didn't draft Luka Doncic. But this podcast made me excited for Aiden. So. All right, so let's go on to seven seconds or less. This is a segment, Sam, we do every single week. We ask each other three questions, and the other one only has seven seconds to respond and has no preparation beforehand. This week, we'll have David asking you and me some questions. You ready for this? Yeah. The uh, the time limit isn't uh, isn't kept to very often, Sam, so feel free to uh, extend on your answers if you feel you need to. So I'll start with number one. If you had to rank how the bigs of this draft class will look at the end of their rookie contracts, given situation and things now, they've all been drafted to teams, how would you rank Aiton, Bagley, Jackson, Bumba, and Carter? Um, I think in that order. No, no, no. I would say Aiton, Jackson, Bagley, Bumba, Carter. So you're still very much in on Bagley then, even with the Kings? I moved Jackson ahead of him uh, in this ranking, yep. uh, just based off of where they got, like the team that they got selected to. 
but I'm a Marvin Bagley guy. I think he is, again, just such an incredible athlete that he'll figure it out. It's such a bummer, man. I wish Bagley would have gone pretty much anywhere else. <laughs> yes, strong agree. <laughs> I would go Jackson 1, 8 and 2, Carter 3, Bomba 4, Bagley 5, I think. I, I had Bagley, Bomba, and Carter all very close before the draft, and it really just, the Sacramento things would drop Bagley down for me. <laughs> we know you're a big draft guy and, and cover it extensively. Max is, is pretty into the draft as well. So who would you kind of tie yourself to, uh, you know, maybe outside the top 10 of the draft just gone, who's going to really surprise us early on in their rookie season? I mean, is it a cop-out to take the guy that went number 11? (laughs) Um, I'm a Shea Gilgis-Alexander fan. Uh, I think he's very, very, very good. Uh, He is going to be awesome in the NBA, and I think the Clippers are going to give him some leeway to really play. I'm going to take this as another opportunity to to promote my favorite player in the draft, which is Landry Shamit. Uh, unfortunately, he got hurt early in summer league, so we didn't really get to see much of him. But uh, now that unfortunately Zaire Smith, who I also love, is going to miss some extended time, we might get a, we get some chance to check out Landry. So I'm, I'm hoping he can uh, can impress some people. That's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about that with Smith. That's kind of maybe going to open up an opportunity for Shamit. They could definitely do with his shooting. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and Sam, I know you're always on to the next draft, and and Max is too already. So do you want to give me a early number one pick for the 2019 draft? Yeah, the, the obvious one is rj barrett he's very clearly to me the number one guy right now six six guard out of canada um led canada to the u19 championship its first major medal at a youth competition dropped i want to say 41 or something on team usa in that tournament so i I would go rj barrett i haven't watched a ton of these guys yet but i have watched rj barrett and i was completely blown away by him like i I knew he was an athlete and i knew he had some scoring ability i heard some things about him I was really impressed by his feel for the game and his, his playmaking ability. Like, I, I think people are underselling this guy. He looks ridiculously good to me. Yeah, like, I, I don't think this is a particularly good draft, but I think that Barrett is a very, like, real, normal, like, highly talented number one. He'd look very nice next to Booker. Yes, that is excellent. I've got a bonus here for, for you, Sam, Max. This one I don't think you're going to be able to answer, <laughs> but who would you tip the two teams to be in the AFL Grand Final? We do have a couple of Australian <laughs> listeners, so I'm sure we'll appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, give us, give us your hot take there. Uh, I am going to go Richmond, and I am going to maybe... I almost want to say Hawthorne. Like, I am very impressed with Hawthorne, but I don't think I'm going to do that. If Toby Green gets healthy and GWS gets healthy, I would say GWS. Okay, interesting. Max, you still awake there? Give me the Gold Coast Suns. <laughs> they they are out of contention what? Uh, math- mathematically a, a long, long time ago. Damn referees. <laughs> all right that's it for seven seconds or less guys and that's it for the podcast thank you so much for joining us sam plug anything you want anytime guys just go subscribe to the athletic keep me employed over there it's great <laughs> um we do a lot of really great stuff it's a great website and then go subscribe to the game theory podcast as well the pacific division i believe is the the last division of the game theory podcast to to go with the <laughs> prospects so suns fans perfect time to to jump on over and subscribe if you're not already yeah he's got cole doing that with him a friend of the show cole Zwicker, so it's great listen to it awesome series yeah we we decided that we have to break up the pacific division into two podcasts because Phoenix and Sacramento are literally like their entire teams are 23 and under. So like it, it's going to be a long, long one. There you go. Joseph Stalin once said quantity has a quality all of its own. <laughs> kind of agree with that. <laughs> As for us, 
Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at MaxMCC11. You can follow David on Twitter at The Four Point Play. Our podcast is at 7SOLPod on Twitter. David, thanks again. Thanks so much, Max, and uh, so thrilled that Sam could join us. This was uh, this was awesome diving into Aiden. It was great. Thanks, guys.